This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am your host, Amy Beth Shaver. Actually, remember to say my name this time. Are you proud of me for that? <laughs> yeah, it was well done. I mean, and here you are, sir, yep. your man in the field, Larry Alex Taunton. Yes, indeed. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. We got to watch John Wayne movies this weekend, so it's all good. You know, you watched them last weekend, and I would say that's two two weekends well spent. Well, I would say that it is, because yeah. you learn a lot about life, and anytime we do a, a show... You know, you go away thinking and thinking, and then you see a John Wayne movie, and you think, how can this, even this, bring out elements of life? And then it reminds me of why I love old movies, especially the classics, well, you know, especially not, John Wayne. You know you're not going to be offended by them. And, uh, you know, I read a biography of John Wayne, and um, the it is alleged that John Wayne didn't act, that John Wayne was always just John Wayne. Really? Yeah, they the people who knew him say that he was what you saw on camera. They said he was a very um down to earth, likable guy. Um he he had come from very humble roots, backgrounds, loved to sit and play cards with the with the the camera crews. Really? Stuff like that. His son said that yeah, there wasn't an autograph he wouldn't sign. He would pose with everyone. He was just as gracious and kind as he could be to almost everybody. So people need to take lessons from John Wayne. And he was six four. Yeah, he wasn't was a, he? Yeah, he was a big guy, and he you know he played football at USC. Really? Yep, sure did. With Ward Bond, Ward Bond, who is the actor. You know, he yeah. plays. Is it is it Bert and Ernie? Which one is he in? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> I don't know. He's Bert the cop. Bert okay, the cop, oh, yeah, okay, all right. Which is where you get Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street. But Bert the cop was his longtime friend, and the two of them played football at USC. Oh, you're kidding? Yep. Okay, so I love him with Maureen O'Hara, the Quiet Man, the Quiet and, Man, and everything. McClintock, and ba- and, uh, Big Jake. Yeah, um, she's in so many with him. But I thought I really like that combo. And then there's another lady I can never remember her name that I also enjoyed. But I thought they were especially in good. our present culture. It would also go over very well um, him putting her over his knee and spanking her. Oh, you know, people would love that. They love that. They would today. sign up and I say, "Can I watch that again?" I think he did it in more than one movie. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he really did. So our topic today is Real Life is Messy, and it's actually going to be a two-part special. Yes. Um, Why don't you explain to our wonderful audience what exactly we're going to be talking about? Well, this really is about your life, Amy Beth. (laughs) It's that, you know, getting to know Amy Beth, her life is messy, and we decided to do a two-part, you know, what do they call it, the the TV shows that that are... what the after school specials? No, the, I know. not an after school special. <laughs> what are the what are the the real life TV shows? Yes. You know, like yeah. oh the, oh like reality shows. Reality shows. Reality yes. show. This is a reality show about Amy Beth's life. Now, in uh, in in truth, I think we've both felt a conviction, a growing conviction, as as we talk off camera, that some of the real issues of of life, not just the Christian life, but some of the real issues of life that often the church doesn't deal with them in the gritty, raw way 
that life really is. And it isn't my purpose here to pick on the church um, or, you know, uh, to, to, to criticize uh, your pastor. It is rather that I think that we are often much more, I don't know if the word would be prim, maybe, maybe it is in part um, prim, but we're much more reluctant to go where the Bible does. Mm, truth. And that the classic example, you know, is the Song of Solomon. You know, I remember years ago, one of the funniest things ever, <laughs> um, our, uh, our church uh, was without a pastor briefly. And so, you know, the leadership um, took turns preaching. And it came around um, to, a, to a guy, if he's out there, his name's Ed, Ed, real character, real country boy. And um, Ed had announced to all of us he was going to do the Song of Solomon. And we were all like, you are a brave man. <laughs> really? Wow. This is your first time out. And you've decided, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't say revelation. I mean, you've decided to wade into... And so it was with a certain measure of fascination that we, you know, gathered, you know, into uh, into the the uh, sanctuary to hear his preaching. And he begins. I'm not kidding. One of the one. I, I wish, I wish that we had video of this. It'd be like the guy saying, you know, pitched their tents. Do you remember that video oh, of the guy who, who didn't say that quite right and it yes, came out the yes, wrong way? Yes. Well, he gets up and he begins to read one of the racier portions oh, as you do of Song of Solomon, you know, because he's going to read the text and then he's going to preach through it. And as he starts reading through it and it's getting racier and racier, he loses his nerve and he says, he stops and he says, well, y'all get the picture. <laughs> It was it was great, and I I think sometimes we're like that with the mm, Bible, yes. not just on on uh, the topic of intimacy, but on sin, um, uh, repentance, uh, forgiveness, uh, restoration. We we say y'all get the picture because we really don't want to go there. We're not really interested in going there. And uh, you know, I said last week when we were doing the. Um, uh, the podcast, uh, the show on uh, on suffering, that the Psalms, at least I think I said this, that the Psalms had become very real for me. I'd gone through the first, you know, four plus decades of my life feeling like, yeah, those are those those uh, uh, chapters um, are that poetry. Yeah, it's all inspired, but I don't much identify with it. And then you go through your own valley of the shadow of death, and your your the raw emotion that David is expressing in those chapters, uh, mostly David. They're not exclusively David, but but we attribute most of the Psalms to David. Become very real mm -hmm. for you, and you are yes, yes, yes. I'm living where David is. I know what David is feeling here in his sin or in his grief or in his anger. And uh, and so that's what we want this show to be. Now, again, for those of you who, listen, for the most part, the most views we get is when we cover politics. That's uh, political, you know, kind of issues. That Those tend to be things that, that people are very, very interested in, particularly now because of where our country is. But I never want to lose sight of the fact that 
this isn't a quote unquote Christian radio show, but it is, but we are Christians who do a show. Yes. And so that worldview is going to come out, whether we're talking politics or music or John Wayne movies. Um, and I meet with so many people who will reach out to me and ask me if I'm, I'm available to have coffee or lunch or, or maybe I just encounter it in, in my daily life. People who are struggling with sin, they're struggling with relationships, they're struggling to forgive or to be forgiven, or they're people who you know, are carrying heavy, heavy burdens and they don't know what to do with it because the church, I, I love this, um, the church, I've, in fact, I've made a habit of taking pictures of these signs that say out in front of churches, broken sinners, you know, are welcome here. Or if you're a sinner, you're welcome here. If you're broken, you know, the, our doors are open. Almost no church actually means that. You're right. They love the signage. It looks good. It looks good and it sounds good. But at the end of the day, most people don't want to deal the messiness of your life of my life, of anybody else's life. They're not prepared to do that. We want to put a quick Band-Aid on it or, you know, uh, give you a, a Bible verse, pray with you maybe, and then, you know, you're fixed to go your way. And real life isn't like that. Real life is... Messy. Messy. It's very messy. And, you know, I think as Chris interacts with patients... Your husband. My husband, Chris. Um, and as, as we live life and... You know, you begin to collect friends and family and people from all around, and you realize they really are walking around with heavy burdens. And they're waiting for their pastor to talk about what is sin, what is, we all know what sin is because we're all sinners, but what does forgiveness, what does repentance, what does reconciliation and redemption, what does that actually look like? How can we wrap our arms around that? But it is such a deep subject. I love the way that you described it as we were emailing last week. Just about how to get your arms around it. And just when you think you do, you get underneath it and you're like, oh my word, this is deep. And it is messy and it is heavy. And yet this is what people seem to be wrestling with right now it are these very issues. And so I'm glad that we're going to talk about them today. Well, you know, you just said people carrying burdens or secrets. I uh, read a very interesting a uh, couple of statistics in a book by Gordon McDonald. You may recall yes. him from a previous generation, wrote a book called Rebuilding Your Broken World, mm. which was a, uh, you know, kind of a Christian bestseller. Um, McDonald had gone through some really difficult times in his own life. And, and of course, as a pastor, he's always encountering broken people. And um, anyway, uh, the, 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 the two stats go like this. One is that People carry, on average, 13 secrets which they will never tell a soul. The second statistic is that 50% of Americans say that they have a secret that were it known, it would have, quote, catastrophic consequences for their lives. Now, I want you to think about that. The church is supposed to be this place where we we speak of, um, you know, putting such wonderful, welcoming things out on our signs, you know, speaking of broken sinners and how we welcome them and how we're the place that'll help you carry your burden. 
Um, and it's almost no church is, is actually that. And lest I come off sounding like the Christian faith is not sufficient for what ails you, that isn't my point. My point is that often we as Christians, um, our brokenness prevents us from being that reflection of Christ that we need to be to a broken world. And so the result is that you have a lot of people who are you know, who are listening to us uh, now, uh, perhaps watching us, um, people in Times Square. You know, we are broadcast live each day in, uh, in Times Square. All of those people who are carrying burdens, 50%, again, 50% of Americans roughly carry a secret they believe would have catastrophic consequences, and they don't know what to do with that. Do I share that with my significant other? Do I share that with my pastor? If you're a Christian, maybe you say, well, you share that with your accountability group. I would say to you, please don't. Yeah. Please don't. I'm not a big believer in accountability groups, and I'm sure I'll get some emails um, for that. Um, but without going into too much detail, let me, let me just add a little footnote to that comment. I don't because they're... Those groups are constantly changing in most circumstances. The relationships are often fairly superficial. And, you know, I believe wholeheartedly what, ben, what Benjamin Franklin um, once said, three can keep a secret if two are dead. And so too often, um, you know, a guy goes home and he tells his wife and, you know, don't you tell anybody else? And she tells someone else and, and uh, so on. In the book, Every Man's Battle, I think it is, he tells a story of a, of uh, of a guy who was um, talking about, you know, he's struggling in his marriage and his accountability partner he weaponized what he told him and began having an affair with his wife. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just, accountability groups rarely meet the ideal of, of what they're meant to be. That said, I do believe there is a place to share our burdens. And I think what we're trying to accomplish in this show is to get right down to the real grit of real life. And that's what the Psalms are, by the way. They're not all neat and tidy. I mean, this is a guy who's gone through absolutely everything. He's seen everything. And yet he's crying out to God and he's seeking, you know, relief um, to be medicated, as it were, through the gospel. You know, I think it would also help. And one of the things we really want to talk about is that we in the church need to quit being surprised that the people who walk through the door are actual sinners. Or that we are. And that we are rotten sinners. Yes. You know, that's the thing that I've noticed over the years is why are we shocked? We're shocked when people want to go there. Yeah. We're shocked. I, I had a friend years ago that was in, a, in an abusive marriage. And the person that they went to share their burdens with told them to go back home and to give up on their ideal vision. And this was, this was awful. Mm. No one would give you this advice, but it was a church-blessed counselor. Yeah. And so we can't do that. So not only can we not be surprised by sin, but we also have to be very careful who we choose to unburden ourselves to. I said last week, we've got to know who our safe people are. Um, but we also have to make sure that those safe people will actually hold us accountable and yeah. tell us the truth, not just what we want to hear, or as you were saying earlier, uh, bless wrong behavior. That's not the point, but it is to hold us accountable and to point us back to the gospel yeah. because there is the answer. That's the answer right there. But we've got to take that word seriously and literally because that's what it's there for, our edification, even when it hurts. 
Well, let's start at the most basic place where all human ills begin, and that is sin. That is sin. Um, how do you think we should go about dealing with, let's start with our own sin uh, first, and then we can talk about the sins of other people, because we love talking about the sins it's of other so people. It's so fun. <laughs> no. So what do, we, um, what do we do with our own sin, with our own burdens? Well, I mean, you know, I pray to the Lord to keep a short account, but when we become aware of it, immediately confess them to the Lord and confess them to the person that we have hurt immediately. You know, Isaiah says that um, woe, when he saw the Lord in the robes in, in the temple, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He understood immediately that he was completely unable to meet the standard, but he also understood and was able to confess because I'm... Co- I'm, I'm unable. And that's what happens when we recognize our sin. We know what we've done, and we want to confess that yeah. sin because it's a heart transformation. Yeah. But we're all sinners, and it's very hard. Who wants to admit their sin? Uh, no one. Uh, boy, I think you just, you just really nailed it. I think that it's very important as uh, people listen to us here when we're, we're talking about the confession of sin to those that we've sinned against, is I think first we have to identify, yes, we have to acknowledge the sin, we have to repent of the sin, not just simply um, acknowledge that we have sinned. There is yes. a difference. You know, I've sat with, um, with, with men who have told me uh, of their own sin, but where I'm not sensing a repentant spirit. And, and that is to say, if, if they think the confession simply means telling someone else, but there's no change of heart, you're just acknowledging that you have sinned, well, that, that's not confession in, in the biblical spirit. It's definitely not repentance. On the other hand, um, I do think there are those who... Um, who misidentify? I, well, let, let me back up. I, I would. I, I think it's incredibly important that we have to identify who it is we sinned against. And yes. you just said that. You know, who is it that you've sinned against? And that those are the people of whom you must ask forgiveness. So, uh, is it against? Uh, is it against your your business partner? Is it against your spouse? Is it against a child? Is it against a friend? Is it against someone else? I think you have to identify who that person is. Uh, be very clear in that and repent of that. Um, as for those who are on the other side, I do think there are those who try to involve themselves in the sins of others and act like they're offended parties when no one has sinned against them and begin to involve themselves where they ought not, and God won't bless that. Let's pause right there because you've brought up a very good point, and I have a question for you. We'll take a break, and when we come back, I'll ask my question. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Larry is my favorite player. Welcome back. So, Larry, I have a question. You just mentioned that certain people want to involve themselves in something that it's not, for lack of a better phrase, not their monkey, not their circus, but they feel offended for you. Yeah. And they get involved, and they have no business being involved. What do you do with people like that that just feel like they need to attach themselves? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Going through a very difficult time in my own life, I'm mindful of people who thought they knew things they did not know or thought they had a right to know things Mm -hmm. they didn't know 
or thought it was their place to really get themselves involved and become a player. And you're thinking, who are you? You know, that you, I don't hear from you on a, a normal, regular basis. You're not here to provide comfort. You're not, you're not here, you, but, but you think it's your place to involve yourself in that. Um, I'm very mindful of, um, of people who, um, who, who do that. And I think that you have to come back to what we were talking about just before the break, identifying who the offended party is and isn't. And if you're not an offended party, you need to stay out of it. And that doesn't mean that you feel offended. There's a difference. That doesn't mean that um, it didn't it, the 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 sin of this or that person didn't have consequences for you. But consequences for you are different than than sin against you. They are not the same thing. And so, as you and I were uh, you know were talking, you know, in a break, if um, uh, you know, somebody we both know, let's say, is uh, to use a you know example of C.S. Lewis is. It's reported this person uh, has engaged in embezzlement. That that may or may not involve me. It may be my money, in which case um, I am an offended party. But uh, it may be something where I feel indignant as a Christian, and it's my place to uh, fire off an email or to dump all over that individual. Not my place to do that. Does not involve me. I'm not a player in that, and it's inappropriate for me to then go and try to involve myself. Uh, I also think that it's, uh, you're looking at it from the perspective of the, uh, of, of the sinner um, in our scenario. I think that, that often truly broken or repentant people, you kind of have to pull them back from the brink just a little bit. I'm not talking about people who deny their sin and who make excuses for it, but I've sat with individuals who are so broken that you, you, you're glad to see it in the one sense because you know that the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. On the other, you want to steady them and say, you don't need to dump this all over the place. You don't need to go confessing this to all these people. You didn't offend that person. I don't care what they said to you. You did not offend that person. You didn't sin, you didn't sin against that individual. They don't have a right to know. You are allowed to say none of your business. And this isn't the time to be making drastic decisions. You let's let's get you let's get you steadied. Let's protect you in this time, and uh, don't go making drastic decisions when you're this. Uh, you right, know you're right. you're just you're just fraught with grief um, and um, and fear and you know uh, and you're allowing people to beat you up. You know, so I think that's very very important. And don't you think also, though, that when people are at that point and when they're broken and you are pulling them back, that it's also hard to believe that God really has forgiven them and that they are they are set free? Um, I, I think that's part of it is that people still from time to time want to live in that prison yeah. when they have to be reminded, no, 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 there are consequences and there are things you're going to have to make right, but you've been set free. And to help people understand and no longer be, you know, burdened by that yoke of slavery, we want to put that back on ourselves. And too often when you go share this with too many people, they want to put that right back on you. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, there are people in, in the church, I'll loosely call them Christians. Christians are capable of doing these things. It's not a, a Christian thing to do, but who will weaponize mm -hmm. your 
sins. So you um, confess to me something, and I now have something on Amy Beth that I can pull out every now and then, and I can spiritualize it, and I say, well, there was that time, Amy Beth. You know, maybe just you know, calm yourself down just a little bit. And I, and I use it to remind you and keep you down and keep you under my thumb just a little bit. There are people who do that. It is a wicked, wicked thing to do. And um, I, think, I think this is so important for, for all of you sinners who are out there, which, by the way, is everyone who right. is, is Welcome to the club. <laughs> but there are, there are some of you out there who know your sinners more than others do. Some are listening to this and um, you know have their hands on their lapels, and they are thinking themselves righteous. They know the language of the church. You know, we've all sinned and we all need grace. But you know that there are people who don't really believe that about themselves because they think I know your sin and I know I didn't do anything like that, and um, and I needed less grace, you know, from God than 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 you did. I want to say to those of you who are out there who are broken people and who have confessed your sin um, before the Lord. We are told in the scriptures, Jeremiah 31 and uh, Hebrews 8, you, you reference this um, off, off camera. You know, our best stuff is off camera. If we just had if we just Could had you just cameras, bring our like, microphones upstairs? And... <laughs> we just need to be followed with GoPros. <laughs> we should, our own reality show. We should have our own reality show, and we should be mic- mic'd up like coaches. Now, I will say some colorful language might flow into it. Possibly. Possibly, from Amy Beth. But I, uh, I, I think that uh, you said something that I think was quite excellent. Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8, which say to us, it's just repeated. Hebrews 8 is quoting um, Jeremiah 31 which says that God um, remembers our iniquities no more. Now, does that mean he literally can't remember? Uh, no, it, it means that in a that that the Lord no longer holds it against you. And I'm mindful of David. You know, we we did a podcast on David and Bathsheba. Uh, I don't know a month or two ago, and um, I think it's very interesting that in the Psalms, David says multiple times, "Look up this phrase, aha." A-H-A exclamation. David is talking about his own sin with Bathsheba, Uriah, and he says there are those who gather together and they, they, um, they lay snares for me and they say, aha. Yes. Those are the people who are saying, I know you. Mm-hmm. I know who you really are. Mm-hmm. You might fool these other people. But I know who you are. I know your sin. I sat with a guy recently who said to me he had done something really sinful and bad, but but then he said, but not as bad as you. And uh, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> you not as bad as you. And I thought, wow. Wow. And I just bit my brave. tongue because I wanted. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to come out and say something. And I thought, you know, I'm here to help him. I'm here because he's requested this. I'm here because he's in his own pit um, of his own making, and uh, he's looking for a way out. And as a Christian, that's our responsibility. And I'm fallen too, and I've been in my own pit. But I thought, wow, you know, you're beginning our conversation by telling me you're not as bad a sinner as I am. How dare you presume to know my heart? You don't know my heart. No. How can somebody presume to, to, to know that? And so 
the, the point I would make as it, as it applies to this is the people are out there who are laboring under your sin. The Lord, when you confess your sin, to quote my friend, the, uh, the great bishop in Nigeria, Juan uh, Jumbez, uh, who says, Larry, we bring our sin to the cross but once. Amen. Larry, you're not a Catholic. <laughs> you don't bring it every day. You don't ask for forgiveness every day. You bring it to the cross once and you leave it. And you confess it and you move on. And if there are those people in your life who would weaponize it and want to remind you of it every day, get them out of your life. Those are not people who need to be in your life because whatever they may be, um, whether they're Christian or not, or just pretending to be Christian, I am convinced that the greatest sin in Scripture, you, every now and then, you know, you feel like the Lord gives you something that is uniquely yours. You, you know what I mean? Yes, and, I do. And your own prayer and your own Bible study. And this came to me one day, and I know it's from the Holy Spirit because I'm not clever enough to think of this. I felt like, and this comes back to mowing. We were talking about mowing off... Um, off uh, uh, camera as well, but I sometimes feel like some of my best thoughts, some of my best articles are written when I'm mowing, meaning or cycling. And that's when I have some time alone and I'm processing and I'm thinking and, you know, I'm doing something fairly mindless. Right. And it was this, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Larry, there is not a sin in hell that will not also be represented in heaven save one, self-righteousness. And it is because a self-righteous man or woman will never ask for forgiveness because they do not think they need it and they will never grant it because they are sure you don't deserve it. Do you mind repeating that? Because what you just said is so unbelievably important. The people that I dialogue with right there, right what you said, are living with self-righteous people. And they also don't need to have them in their life. But can you repeat? I'm serious. I, I stopped on my zero-turn mower, by the way, <laughs> which is super fun. Chris Shaver must own one of these. He's going to get one. <laughs> it is a recliner with a mowing deck underneath it. And I would say to Lori, you know, I have to go mow. <laughs> <laughs> poor pitiful, poor pitiful <laughs> me. When I'm out there, I, I can literally pop wheelies. You push it forward. Uh -oh. Anyway, I stop on my mower and I wrote this down. Larry, there is not a sin in heaven that will not, excuse me, there's not a sin in hell that will not be represented in heaven save one. And that is self-righteousness. And that's because a self-righteous man or woman will never ask for forgiveness because they're sure they don't need it and they will never grant it because they're sure you don't deserve it. And meaning that when we think of heaven, will there be proud people in heaven? Yes. Will there be adulterers in heaven? Yes. Thieves in heaven? Yes. Murderers in heaven? Yes. Every single sin that is in hell, someone in heaven will have also committed it except for self-righteousness. And, and, and I'm talking about a, a permanent disposition of self-righteousness. We've all been self-righteous right, at various times, but I mean a permanent settled disposition of self-righteousness. And it is the most wicked sin of all. It's the person who looks, it's the person that Jesus is talking about when he says, you know, the, uh, the tax collector and the 
you know, the Pharisee are standing before the altar and, and the, uh, the tax collector says, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, Lord, forgive me a sinner. I dare not even look up to you. And the tax collector, excuse me, and the Pharisee says, thank you that I'm not like him. Mm. There are a lot of people are listening to us who fall into that category of self-righteousness. You're sure if you read my Wikipedia page with somebody put together that you're better than I am. You're sure that you are better than somebody else who is sitting out there. You are sure that your sins are not as great as those people. And if you think that, you are in danger of the fires of hell because because you have a settled disposition of self-righteousness and it speaks of an unrepentant heart. Why do you think Jesus's greatest ministry was with all of these broken people? Yes. Who, (laughs) you know... Who you know the 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 woman who weeps at Jesus's feet and cleans his feet with her hair and her tears and the self righteous religious folk all sit there and say this this is unseemly right um, we're not often reading the the scripture appropriately to understand we have this hierarchy of sins. And we look at the the law and we say to ourselves, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'm a pretty good person. But you're not. There's not a single person out there who's not listening to us who doesn't deserve God's wrath. And when you start trying to think of yourself as a better... See, this is why I argued years ago, while we like the Michael Vicks of the world... um, versus the Tim Tebow's of the world, because the Michael Vick, you know, the guy who was... Uh, you know, shocking dogs and, you know, using electricity on them and torturing animals. And it made national headlines and a big deal. We're all pretty sure we're better than him. Jerry Sandusky's we like because we go, whatever I've done, I've never done anything like that. We're sure we're better than people like that. A Tim Tebow makes us feel like a sinner. You don't want him at your party right. because he makes you, you, know, you prefer to hang with, with, with those people who make you feel better than you really are. So I think self-righteousness is the sin we must constantly be guarding against because it creeps into our hearts. And self-righteousness isn't a product of Christianity. You know, you have the church lady, you know, from right. Saturday Night Live and this kind of thing. There's this idea that it's a product of religion. It is not. Self-righteousness is a product of the human hearts. And the, some of the most self-righteous people I've ever met weren't religious at all. They're recycling Nazis. They're mask Nazis. They're those people who um, are sure that they are good people because they obey the rules. Mm. And when you apply that, you know, within the the, the, the Christian faith, that self-righteous spirit, you know, manifests itself in these same kind of ways. I'm at church regularly. I'm there on Wednesday nights too. Don't miss the Sunday night service. And I'm sure I'm better than you. So why don't we take a break right there and we'll come back. I have have many more questions. So stick with us. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. The opinions expressed here do not reflect those of Democrats, atheists, Muslim radicals, environmentalists, globalists, socialists, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, soccer fans, or men who eat quiche. But they should. Welcome back. Thank you for talking about self-righteous so honestly. I know there are people in their cars right now or around their homes thinking, I needed to hear that. Yeah. 
And so prayerfully, I pray that for the people who have ears to hear, that they would hear what you said, because it's important. So what about this? When it comes to forgiveness, because you hear that often in the church, well, you need to forgive. You've got to forgive. Let's step into the realm of forgiveness, past the offense, but to forgiveness and that difference, first with forgiveness and repentance. Could you go there? Help me be more specific. So let's say that you're in a situation and someone says, well, because you're not willing to be best friends with another person that okay, gotcha. there, there's a relationship yeah, with, gotcha. um, you clearly haven't <clears throat> forgiven the person. And when you know that's not true, like you said earlier, yeah. you don't know my heart. So no matter how many times you've said this, and this is for girlfriends as well, no, we have forgiven. There's no question about the forgiveness Jesus said 70 times seven. That's not the issue. Um, but the the repentance piece that comes after that and the reconciliation Walk us through what that looks like. Um, I wish Lori were here um, to um, uh, on this. Lori has a lot of profound things to say on this. My wife, um, Lori, again, uh, we we're really were quite brilliant off yes. camera discussing this. But I, uh, I have a little test, a personal test, and somebody out there maybe has uh, a better one. Maybe you do. But a way I test to see if I've forgiven an individual, if I can pray for blessing on their lives. Yes. Because if you can't, you know, you're saying, this is a person who's offended me, who's wronged me. And I am saying, you know, Lord, I ask that you bless my my stock name, by the way, my generic name. If, if there is a guy out there named Phil, I don't hate you, Phil. <laughs> It is it is my stock name okay, that I just that. I just use you know um, if Phil is a guy who's deeply deeply wronged me and offended me, um, my way of knowing whether I have really forgiven him is can I pray Lord please bless Phil? Um, I've been at points in my life where I I'm I'm trying to pray for that person. It's like I veer off at the last second. Lord, I pray for Phil. <laughs> you pray, you know, and you can feel like the Lord is saying, and you pray what, Larry? His destruction <laughs> or her destruction? So I, uh, I, I keep praying until I can get to that point. Lord, please bless Phil. Please bless his life. And Lord, I trust you to determine what that looks like. Um, it's not for me to decide that. Lord, you do that. Um, the Lord is never going to be angry for you for blessing, for praying blessing on another individual's life. Now, um, your question about reconciliation, you've heard the term before, the saying, you know, that forgiveness is a one-way street and reconciliation is a two-way street. So our forgiveness of an individual is not contingent upon that individual actually con confessing to us they're wrong and asking our forgiveness. Boy, is it hard when an individual, and I can tell you, I have this very much in my life, something I'm dealing with um, very much right now, um, uh, are individuals who have deeply offended me, who have deeply offended my family, um, and have never sought to right the wrong, uh, have never uh, confessed the sin or even acknowledged having done wrong to you. 
can I pray blessing upon those individuals? If not, I need to get to that place because you know God isn't going to bless you um, when you're in a state of of hard heartedness towards an individual or where you're wishing wrong upon them. Yes, He's not going to. And uh, and I'm very mindful. You know, something that is, should be a motivator for us in this that I've learned is the fear of God. The fear of God for me is very real. It's very real in my life because. I sometimes play a, play a game that can be somewhat cathartic where I'm confronted with an in, one of these individuals um, or a specific individual and where I am thinking, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm just going to vomit out all this stuff. And then I, what, the thing that prevents me from actually doing it or from sending the email or from saying what I want to say is I feel a little prompt from the Holy Spirit uh, saying... You remember that story about the the servant being forgiven a massive debt and he turns around and yes. chokes an individual? Yes. Uh, don't be that guy, Larry. And see, and I th- I think those people who have unforgiveness in their heart, they always say to themselves, I, I know Jesus said that, but he wasn't anticipating a situation like mine. <laughs> right. I mean, I have a real reason. I, I'm justified in not forgiving. No, you are not. You are not. And scripture is quite clear that a, a spirit of unforgiveness, you are you are endangering your soul with that. Uh, I'm afraid to go there. I have, I fear the Lord. There are things that I could say to an individual that might feel good to me in the moment and and are true, but would devastate. Absolutely devastate because I know where to wound. And the thing that prevents me from doing it is the fear of the Lord, which is very, very real for me. So I think these are these are things that it's important for us to understand. So if you are you're struggling with forgiveness, begin praying for that individual. And if you keep veering off, keep doing it until you can get to that place where you can pray blessing upon that individual's life and have confidence that the Lord knows what he's doing. He knows your situation. He knows this individual. And he knows what blessing looks like in their lives. Now, reconciliation, if that person is not prepared to acknowledge their sin against you, and you must be clear that it actually is sin against you, not just something that upset you or had consequences for you, because as we said earlier, those are those are different things. But if they're not going to do that, then heavens know you are not going to, to reconcile in the sense we're all going to be buds again. Okay, so two two questions. One, I want to step back into the forgiveness because I love what you said right there. When it comes to forgiveness, when people, and, and I guess it ties into self-righteousness, are just so sure that you haven't forgiven and want to tell you repeatedly, oh, no, you have not forgiven. Do you think perhaps that they're talking more about themselves than about you? Ooh, wow, that's an interesting that's an interesting question. Well, how do you react to that? Well, as you were talking, I thought, you know, that sometimes when people tell you who they are, believe them, but often people won't come out and tell you who they are, but they'll tell you by what they accuse you of doing because it may be exactly what they're doing themselves. Yeah. And so I began to think, I wonder if perhaps, and I literally have never thought about this before, but you said that so well that I thought, I wonder if they're accusing another person of being unforgiving because they're the ones who haven't forgiven, mm. despite repeated assurances that you, the person they're accusing of not being that way, have. So I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but it's just an interesting... That is interesting. Perhaps. I uh, 
I'm sure it would vary from case to case, but there are uh, certainly people who, uh, again, we come back to self-righteousness. And self-righteousness, I want to drive home, is not a product of Christianity. The, the Christian faith, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, they do not make you self-righteous. It, self-righteousness is a product of the wicked human Heart. And it can manifest itself with religious trappings. You know, I, I don't forgive you and I'm behaving self-righteously because you violated the Ten Commandments, you know, or whatever. Uh, not, our, not our place to, um, you know, to do that. But, you know, I've seen individuals um, who behave viciously in their unforgiveness um, and who were not themselves, you know, um, offended parties, no one sinned against them, but who act viciously, you know, trying to do you harm, mm. setting out to do you harm. I've seen that in the church multiple times uh, in a nasty church split um, some years ago. I saw individuals wow. do things like that uh, to people. And I think that there will be people who are watching us who can think of instances like that themselves. In my own personal experience, I have encountered that. And not only that, I've encountered people treating my wife that way or treating my children that way. And you're thinking, who gave you, who gave you the right to do that? What, what kind of wickedness is going on in your heart that you think this is what Jesus would have you do? You know, the whole, what would Jesus do thing? You think this is what this, you think this is what he would do. We have no instance in scripture of Jesus treating harshly a repentant sinner. Not one. Um, of a truly repentant sinner. And somebody would say, well, okay, well, we go back to David. Well, he took David. Well, bear in mind, David was confronted in a state of unrepentance when Nathan, you know, the prophet comes to him and tells the story, you know, of the, of, of the man who took the ewe and, you know, this, this kind of thing. David pronounced judgment on himself and was in a state of unrepentance. Um, so when we see Jesus, you know, in the Gospels with individuals who are repentant, his mercy, his grace mm. flows forward um, towards those people. And I, this kind of spills over into an interesting conversation about maybe you've seen this, you know, it's, it's occupied a lot of Twitter space, the, uh, this whole idea of, um, of winsomeness. Yeah. Um, you're supposed to be winsome, you all know, the to, time. The, to the all the time to the unbeliever. And it's always about being nice. And I think, boy, you guys need to meet the, the, the Jesus of the Bible. You need to be the God of the Bible. They're they're one and the same. And um uh because what I see in Jesus is I see him often not gentle with those people who are not repentant, you know, with the, uh, the, the, the Pharisees or the moneylenders or individuals of, of that nature with whom he's quite short, right. um, dismissive, um, and, uh, you know, not revealing who he is, his identity, you know. Um, but with those people who are sinners um, that are broken before him, he's just, he is winsome with those people. And I think that's, that's that's a model for us. Yeah. So who do we think we are when God has forgiven? I think it's interesting, you know, that uh, you know, again, we come back to David. God's forgiven David, 
Those people who were not forgiving towards David, you know, Joab, a mindful of a figure like Joab, who always behaved towards David like the, the I people know think, you. The people think you're great. Mm-hmm. You know, they think they're great. You think you're so special, but I know you. I know your sin. Oh, so wicked. And um, the Lord deals with Joab. Mm. And he deals with other individuals like that. So I think you're inviting God's wrath when you have a spirit of unforgiveness towards those whom the Lord has forgiven. Because I think I think you are inviting his, his wrath and his anger because you are saying, I know better than God does. I know better than you do, Lord. And furthermore, I'm not forgiving because... You know those those stories of forgiveness weren't weren't meant for my situation. My situation's different, so I'm justified. So when we're talking about forgiveness and moving ahead to the whole repentance piece, and taking David for example, when he realized that he had pronounced judgment on himself, he immediately knew what he had done. Mm-hmm. So when someone wants to come to another to confess their wrong or confess before the Lord first what they've done wrong, um, or they, like, what does that look like? How about that? What does that look like? What is true repentance? Because I think here also your wife had some beautiful things to say about that and what that does to a person. Yeah, that's for the podcast that wasn't a podcast, The all <laughs> the things we didn't say um, on the show because we said them over coffee before the show, which by the way, are always brilliant. Um, they're just, we just drop gem after gem after gem, uh, in those coffee sessions, but no, seriously, um, um, real repentance means real brokenness and sorrow before the Lord for our chiefly our offense against him. You'll notice in Psalm 51, David's, David's, uh, Psalm after his repentance for, his sin, um, you know, in the in the case of Uriah and Bathsheba, that he says, "I have sinned against you, Lord." And uh, so, all of our sin is is chiefly sin against the Lord Himself. So we begin there. That's the that's the place that we uh, we start. It's not just acknowledging it to Him; it is turning away from it. It is. It is uh, an acknowledgement that we have done wrong, we have done wickedness, and that we're we're deserving of His wrath. So it starts there, and then it moves out from there to identifying who the people are. Is there somebody else that we've offended? Is there someone else that we've sinned against? And seeking that individual's um, forgiveness. Now, I think that 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 sometimes can be a process, not years long prog- pro- uh, process, but it might be uh, a process of a of a few. Um, uh, uh, hours or days or 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 maybe a little longer, but um, Scripture says, "Do not let your the sun set on your anger." You know, so we're we should not uh, when we are unforgiving. I think that it, you know, in fact, that passage it says, "Do not let the sun set on your your wrath on your anger, lest the devil get a foothold." I get this picture of Satan. <laughs> sticking his foot right in the door and preventing yeah. you from from closing the door on your sin. And when we we don't forgive an individual, I think over time it's like concrete that hardens. Mm. And you may say, well it's just going to take me time. Well that's not what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. This idea that that time heals all wounds, 
Satan came up with that in a council, you know, and I picture that as a line, you know, when all the demons are sitting down in paradise lost, they're sitting down in hell, you know, let's think of sayings that sound biblical, but there aren't. Well, how about this one? Um, um, time you know, heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. Don't you know? And that which doesn't kill you makes, makes you, you stronger. stronger. That was actually Friedrich Nietzsche. Gag. Okay. <laughs> Friedrich Nietzsche said that. Absolutely not true. I always tell people who quote that and think that it's the Bible, I say, well, actually, that which doesn't kill you may just cripple you for life. Yes. So, um, no, that's, those are not biblical sayings. So the devil gets a foothold when you have that attitude. But if you're the individual that's confessing the sin, there may come a time with an, with an individual where it's, you know, Romans 12, 15, insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Meaning you've confessed it, you've tried to bring peace to the situation. Your repentance is real, is genuine. I think we have to take, you know, someone's words for that. We don't have a window into their heart, into their soul. But if a person has a settled disposition of unforgiveness towards us, you're justified in just washing your hands of that and moving on. You don't have to, you don't have to keep putting yourself in the path of that individual so they can just bludgeon you yet again with what a wicked and awful person you are. That's not what the Lord does. That's not biblical. We don't have a right to do that. Um, but I often tell individuals, you know, look, just because you you told your husband, you know, you did this, um, Sarah. Sarah, it's a it is a stock name. I'm not. We don't know on Sarah. Any, any, well, I actually know lots of Sarahs, okay, well. and that's why I have to say that. You know, <laughs> the woman who cuts my hair, her name is Sarah. Sarah did not tell me this, by the way. <laughs> this is not Sarah's real life scenario. But <clears throat> just because you told your husband you did this, Sarah, and he didn't just immediately jump for joy. And respond by throwing his arms around you and you know kissing your cheek. That doesn't mean that now all of a sudden he's a wicked human being. He he might need just a little bit to process this. Give him time. Give the Holy Spirit time to work, and he might you know circle back to you in the morning. You know, so we we have to be realistic about these things. But I become very concerned when I hear that Sarah's husband in our scenario that uh, several days later has not said anything a week later, a month and so on. That's, that's when, when, when he is, is moving into the, to the danger zone. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. This is the Larry Alex Taunton show. Welcome back, Larry. You made an excellent point. And I don't even know if it made it on camera because it was so funny. <laughs> All the good stuff is off camera. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we just need to not ever stop rolling. But you made a reference to tag your it, essentially. Yeah. Tell everybody what you said because it was really good. Well, that there are also, I mean, there are so many facets to what we're talking about, but we were talking about the confession of sin. There are individuals who sometimes act like, um, I'm now on base there can be no consequences because now I've now now I've confessed it and um, I'm and I'm I'm on base. You can't touch me. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. That's that's not a realistic view of sin. It's not a realistic view of life. But what I've been talking about just a little bit, I I'm mindful of something. Uh, I recall um, my dear friend John Lennox uh, saying some time ago. Which, by the way, as you're watching and listening. Um, 
John Lennox, the Oxford professor of mathematics, philosophy of science. Uh, we've done a lot of work together debating atheists mm-hmm. and this sort of thing. But John suffered a stroke um, a, uh, a few weeks ago, and he is, he is trying to recover from that. So we ask people to continue to pray for him. He is, you know, his mind is, is sharp. He's, he's currently reading a book that I um, recommended uh, to him, I'm sure among many, a great many of other things, but it's affected his left side and he says he can't drive. And honestly, if you've ever driven with John Lennox, this might be a good thing. <laughs> but um, he says, you know, he has a little trouble walking and, you know, typing and whatnot. But do do pray for John and for his wife, um, Sally. But I remember something John said to me some years ago, and he said, you know, in our sin, we have to accept God's consequences. Accepting the consequences that men would pile on it is a very different thing. Mm -hmm. And there are those who feel like, there are Christians I know, it's Mm -hmm. very weird, uh, Mm -hmm. Amy Beth, who, who act like, when they when they discover you know you've 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 done some sinful thing that it is their duty to get their pound of flesh it's right. their place to get their pound of flesh and sometimes sometimes sinners are so broken they're 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 like you know a drowning man who's grasping for the side of the pool and christians can be those individuals who are who are stamping their right. their fingers um, all while, by the way, rushing to try to lead a, a, a Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens to faith, in spite of the right. fact they blaspheme their God all the time. Well, they show them all the grace in the world, but to the repentant sinners in their midst, there's no grace. However, do not be one of those um, uh, you know, sinners in the confession of your sin that doesn't feel like you know, you know, the person that you've sinned against doesn't have a, the right to express, you know, um, anger or frustration or disappointment because they do. Not the people who weren't sinned against, but the individual against whom you have offended don't act like, you know, now you say, well, I'm on, I'm on base. You're not allowed to say anything. No, no, they are. Uh, but a settled disposition of unforgiveness is wrong and it's sinful and it's probably much more worse than what the individual you're not forgiving did because Jesus says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. Right. Well, th- that's terrifying. It is. That's terrifying. But let's come back to this whole idea of, um, of, of individuals who are uh, unrepentant. They're, they're individuals who are so unrepentant, they don't even acknowledge that they have done you harm. So Amy Beth, how do you deal with, in your own life, we've all had to deal with this, people have deeply offended you and then don't even have the temperature of the room hmm. to ask for forgiveness. How, how do you deal with someone like that in your own life? I think the first is prayer, um, recognizing that there is brokenness in that person's life that has given them blinders. And so in a way I recognize, and in, in all of our own lives, that perhaps they're in, in a prison that I can't even, I can't see. So I'm going to pray for myself to keep a short account with the Lord, but I'm also going to pray for that person because it's a fearful thing to not be able to see your own sin. Yeah. Or Because we all have blind spots. 
And that's why we're in community. Well, you do, I don't. I mean, obviously not. I mean, you're perfect. Um, but but, that, but see, but, there, there's the obvious expression of a blind spot. you know. And there exactly. are people who were joking, yes. but there are people who are like that. Yes. Yes, they cannot see. It doesn't matter what you say. You can talk to your blue in the face. You can explain, like you said a few minutes ago, you know, you're saying, okay, I think this is all going to work out. Yeah, it's going to be fine. But they can't see it. And then not only can they not see it, but they refuse to even be told that, that perhaps there is a blind spot. And so I think for me and for friends that I talk to about this very subject is prayer is always first. Um, because first, you have to deal with the anger that yeah. can come because we feel, gosh, I don't want to feel self-righteous back. Yeah. Because it's the very thing that you're being hurt by, right, is I can't see. There's nothing to see there. It's all on you. I'm going to take delight in you, but not on me. I'm so good. So to pray against... That was a good voice right there, I, I, the I felt like it was. Like, you know, I, I only took one drama class in the sixth grade, and I, and I felt like it's worth it. That, that could go in a horror show right I, there. I feel like it could. You know, I think, but prayer, confession of sin, staying and in the Word. Prayers, what do those prayers look like? They're in, well, to be honest, they're imprecatory psalms. Um, they're first starting out as recognizing the hurt that you feel by being denied when somebody has hurt you and they refuse to acknowledge their hurt. They refuse to even see is I've got to examine my heart um, because the Lord sees the whole circumstance. So I want to pray through the Psalms and into the Proverbs until then I can, as you said earlier, get back to the point where I am praying for that other person and I'm praying for their blessing, but I'm also praying, oh, God, keep my eyes open. Don't let me go. You said a few, probably a month or so ago that I loved what you said about the horse, like, don't, don't let me go, Lord, but give me eyes to see. I love it when I say things that are, that are so memorable, they're quoted a month later. I'm just saying. You know what? It was good coffee. I didn't even too. remember saying it. You said it, but but those are some of the ways. I believe and then, you. And, and then dealing with and confessing to safe people. This is where I am right now. What am I missing? Uh, where am I short? What can I improve? And then there's something else that we've talked about, and that is that there are times for people to decide that you do not have to go back and continually get punched in the face. Yeah. Because I think that I grew up with this mistaken understanding that you have to continually put yourself out for abuse. And we don't. We don't have to do that. And, and so... When you're dealing with an individual who is not repentant... Yes. Yes. Um, yes, specifically, because yes. Because you can forgive, but the the reconciliation, you can reach a point where it's this is just foolishness. You're, you know, use an extreme example, a, a husband who beats his wife, um, she forgives him for it, but he's clearly not repentant for it because he just resumes beating her again. I mean, at some point you want to say, look, get out of this situation. Yes, forgive him, but until there is, is a change in behavior, uh, you... You do not need to put yourself in this situation. You also hit something here, Amy Beth, that I think is very, very important, and that is, how do I want to put it? I think sometimes when we go before the Lord, people are very good at confessing the sins of other people. They're ready to confess your sins. They're ready to tell everybody about your sins. They're ready to gossip about you. Um, they are ready to go before the Lord and to confess what a wicked sinner you are, but they're not prepared to confess their own sins because of that blind spot that you're talking about. And I would caution people, when you go before the Lord, 
um, in, in seeking you know, forgiveness and direction, you know, regarding your own sin and how you deal with a difficult situation. Uh, as I was telling an individual recently, he was talking about, you know, conflict um, uh, with his spouse. I said, you know, you cannot change, you cannot change him or her, but you can change you. And I, I when I stand before the Lord in situations like that, I don't even try to untangle mm. my guilt versus that individual's guilt. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, Scripture is quite clear. I have to give answer for my sin, not for yours, not for Lori's, not for my children, not somebody else. The Lord won't say, Larry, you know, um, you know, on Judgment Day, you know, give answer for Lori. I give answer for myself. And um, <clears throat> so I just trust that the Lord knows the situation knows my heart, knows the, the intentions of my heart, knows the measure of my guilt or my innocence, mm -hmm. and that he, that he handles all that perfectly rather than me standing there, you know, like Adam and saying, well, the woman <laughs> right. made me do that or this person made me do that. I mean, our, our nature is to blame Yes. Our nature is to pass the buck. And when it comes to sin, you will never be able to do that. You cannot manipulate God. He cannot be fooled. And I'll also throw in one other thing that relates to this, Amy Beth, is is very real and has become very real for me. If you're an individual that has been wronged, you have been wronged. I, I know uh, enough about your life to know that there are people who have deeply offended and wronged you. I have been deeply uh, offended and wronged. I have deeply wronged other people. And, and um, you know, you seek forgiveness in that and you seek forgiveness uh, before the Lord. But those people who don't seek it, who don't seek reconciliation, who, don't, who do not confess their sin to you and, and the wrong that they've done to you, uh, and I think of also uh, sins committed against those I love, I look forward to Judgment Day. Now, that is something that will surprise a lot of people. Judgment is meant to be something that isn't just meant to inspire fear, but it's meant to inspire um, uh, a comfort. You know, you have suffered... I, I think of my um, my dear friends in Africa, in the Middle East, who um, whose families have suffered hideously at the hands of a Muslim extremist who are never going to ask for forgiveness for, mm -hmm. for the murdering, for the raping, for the slaughter. You take comfort in judgment because God will one day judge that situation. And in a, in a much lesser way, your situation, my situation, others, I look forward I look forward to judgment because I know I'm forgiven for my sin and I look forward to vindication for what I did not do. Do you follow me? Yes. And so those are things where not because I'm looking forward like Tertullian, you know, the hmm. the first century um, theologian who um, looked to judgment with some relish because he couldn't wait for God to grind to powder, you know, his <laughs> his enemies. And if you know anything about what was going on in the first and second century, you know why he felt that way because of the persecution of of Christians and being thrown to the lions and you know, um, both figuratively and literally um, that was going on. You know why. Um, he felt the way David sometimes expressed in uh, in in the Psalms a, a level of anger, but judgment should should if you are unrepentant, it should terrify you. If you are repentant, you should look forward to it mm. because it is a day of your vindication. Mm. Boy, that's good. That'll preach right there. You know what? Let's get to part two.
we will um, take a break and we'll come back because now your great words have given me a list. As you see, well, I'm taking notes while you're talking you've kind of given and I'm it writing. Away. I mean, I, so I have, we have, we have much more to say. Well, see, I was actually planning to change shirts to make it look like we didn't film this all on the same day. <laughs> I didn't do that. But now, now you've you kind of given away. To. And when I change shirts, it, I don't fool anybody. And particularly because you'll probably still be wearing that. I'll Although be the same I thing. should say she usually comes with a wardrobe. I do. So, uh, um, not today. Today was one of those days. So um, anyway, but I think maybe now I should change my shirt anyway. But yes, let's, uh, let's take a break. All right, we'll be back. The lights, the party's over. <laughs> they say that all. So ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now? <laughs> 